I'm excited that Tom Hawks is here with us this morning, a man that has meant much to me over a lot of years, and so I'm glad that he's here with us this morning to open up God's Word. Welcome. Thanks, Dave. Good to be with you. If you would, as we turn our attention to God's Word, turn to your Bible to John chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 29. John chapter 5, verses 18 through 29. Uh, that starts on page 1058 in your pew Bibles, in case you want to find that. Not too familiar navigating the Word there. Um, maybe just a word uh, also uh, about Dave, since uh, I've known him a lot longer than most of you, I think. Uh, he showed up in Charlotte, North Carolina. I started, my wife and I started a church in downtown Charlotte in uh, 1994. Uh, downtown Charlotte's sophisticated, urbane, and uh, Dave showed up with his country ways. And I think he always felt uh, a little bit out of, uh, a little bit out of sync with the uh, church in Charlotte and the people there. And um, uh, but, you know, for, for those of us who are leaders, what we saw was uh, a man who really loved God. And we didn't care about his accent, as I hope you won't care about my accent this morning. <laughs> and we saw a man that not only loved God, but loved God's Word, and a man that loved God's people. And we're delighted to have him minister amongst us for all those years, and so delighted the Lord has called him here to grace Presbyterian Church to minister amongst you. There are, over those 12 years, a lot of stories I could tell you about him, his wife, his family, but honestly, they would all be just positive, so no dirt. <laughs> uh, but what I want to tell you is just one small insight that uh, I gained last night as we were sitting on the, the Latham's porch and talking about his ministry here amongst you, and it is, uh, I've known many, many pastors in my life, uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of them, I suppose, uh, but I've never seen a pastor who loved his people more than Dave Latham loves you all. And uh, I think you probably know that, but I want you to hear that from an outsider who is impressed by the way the Lord has moved in his life and his family's life to bring him to love you so much. So it's a delight to be with you all here today. Now, let us turn our attention to God's Word. Uh, John chapter 5, <clears throat> beginning at verse 18. Listen now to the Word of the Lord. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. 
Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we do thank you for this, your word. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit, quicken our minds and soften our heart, Lord, that we may, from this word, know what it means to trust you and trust you even more. For we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. When actor Tim Allen, best known for his betrayal of Tim the Toolman, was only 11 years old, his father died tragically in a car accident and really impacted young Tim and even old Tim. He still struggles today to trust the Lord because of that. He said in an interview not long ago, part of me still doesn't trust that everything will work out all right. I knew my father was dead, but I was never satisfied with why he was dead. I wanted answers that minute from God. Do you think this is funny? Do you think this is necessary? And I've had a tumultuous relationship with my creator ever since. We struggle at times, don't we, to, to trust the Lord, especially, especially when things are difficult in our lives. When we lose someone that we love, when the doctor looks at us and says, it's cancer, when one of our children or our grandchildren go astray from the Lord, when we're laid off from work, at those moments we have a difficult time trusting the Lord. Jesus says, come to me, trust in me. But at moments like that, it can be hard to trust him. We doubt his, his goodness. In the midst of tragedy, we wonder, can he really be a loving God if he's allowing this to happen to me or the people I love? Sometimes we doubt his power. If he really is all-powerful, how could he possibly allow this to happen to me, to my friends, to my loved ones? And we doubt, and at the very heart of that doubt, to some extent, as we doubt Jesus, as we doubt that he's really fully God, a God who loves us and is all-powerful to help us. As we look at this text this morning, I want us to ask a very simple question. Why should we trust Jesus even more with our lives? Why should we trust Jesus even more with our lives? There'll be three answers to that question as we work through our text. The very first one is this one. The Son and the Father work for our good. This text addresses one of the essential human questions around the world today, and that is, is Jesus really God? Is Jesus really God. You can look at every other religion in the world, and they will say in one form or another, no. So if you look at Islam, they will hold Jesus forth as a great prophet, a great teacher. They will revere him. But if you suggest that he's actually divine, he's God, they will call you a blasphemer. You go to the Hindu religion, and you'll see that they, in some sense, say, well, everyone's sort of a god, and so Jesus isn't really special that way. He's not really the divine god in any unique way. Judaism, they still struggle with this very same issue. If he's crucified, he cannot be God. And that was the problem they were wrestling with 2,000 years ago, the Jews then, verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. <clears throat> now, we need to be careful. When the Bible says he was breaking the Sabbath, you need to understand Jesus never broke the Sabbath. 
What it's talking about was the oral Torah, later known as the Talmud, the collection of writings that the the Jewish leaders had around the Bible, interpreting the Bible, not the Bible itself. Jesus never broke a single commandment in the Word of God. But what even upset them more than what they thought were violations of the Sabbath was this, that he was clearly calling himself God, making himself equal with God. Throughout this text, we see that. And if it were not true, that would be blasphemy. And so they were right to be concerned, were it, were it not true? We find the same question among non-believers today, is Jesus God? It is a, a difficult question. Again, most of our world will admit that he was a historical figure. He actually lived. Some won't admit that, but most will. Some will even say, you know, he was a really good moral teacher. But if we suggest to them that he's actually God in the flesh, they will start nodding, shaking their heads, no way. It doesn't make sense. How could it possibly be? And let us admit that it's a difficult concept that a, a man, a human being, a finite human being could be also the eternal God. I grew up in a non-Christian family, and as a young boy, I began wrestling with the doctrines of Scripture. An older Christian had encouraged me to read the Bible, and I was reading this exact passage that we're preaching on today. And as much as I was attracted to this man, Jesus, it was very clear to me that he was claiming to be God. And I was a little bit of a logical kid as a teenager. I thought, well, you have a man, you have God. Those two things don't mix. How could it possibly be? <clears throat> It's not just unbelievers who struggle with this reality. We have to admit that it can be a struggle for us at moments. As I said before, when things are going very poorly in our lives, is Jesus really the God who loves me? Is He really the God who is all-powerful? Our, our creeds are orthodox enough. We, we, we recite them. We know that to be true. But at that moment of crux, that moment of the cross, that moment of difficulty and suffering, we wonder, does He really love us? Is He really the all-powerful Son who will save? Here, Jesus demonstrates why we can trust Him. And He does that in a very simple way. He shows us that He and the Father are actually one. Not two separate people, two persons of the Trinity, one God. And we see it so clearly over and over again in this text. Eight times, eight times he'll refer to himself in this short passage as the Son, showing his unique relationship with the Father. We are saved by Christ, sons and daughters of God, but he is the only begotten Son of the Father. His very first proof of their oneness is their mutual action together, their, their works. You can see that in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. God the Father and God the Son are in perfect harmony as they work together. Their, their deeds go forth as one. The Son's not off doing His own thing in one corner and the Father over here going, I wonder what they're up to. There's perfect unity, perfect agreement. What the Father does, the, the Son does. Some struggle with this very text. They think it makes Jesus sound inferior. In fact, as I mentioned Islam before, there are Muslim theologians who read this very text and say, how can, this, how can Jesus be God? This proves He's not. Can a God be this dependent? The Son can only do what He sees His Father doing? That 
text makes it sound as though Jesus were inferior, but what Jesus is saying is not that he's inferior in any way, shape, or form. He is not inferior to the Father, but that he acts in perfect concert with the Father. All that they do, they do together. And this working together doesn't arise out of the Son's inferiority to the Father, but their, their perfect equality. And we see that even further in the fact that their mutual work arises out of their love for one another. Verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel the eternal love of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They, they live forever in this magnificent eternal love. It's that love that unites them together. It has them working together to the same end with the same methods, always together. And Jesus says, you'll see even more amazing things than this, alluding, no doubt, to his own resurrection. But it can be hard for us to trust the, the work of Jesus when things go wrong. Keith Hartzell of Wheaton, Illinois, I was traveling with a friend of his when he noticed his friend unlocking his uh, smartphone, and he, he unlocked the smartphone with a very unusual code, not numbers but words. The two words were Latin, a Latin phrase, uh, two Latin words, pro novus, pro novus. And it, Keith looked at his friend and said, what in the world is that about? And he said, oh, that's the Latin for for us. It means for us. And when his friend started to explain him that what the meaning of the Latin word was, the term was, uh, his friend started to cry. And so Keith said, well, why does that upset you? This friend said, when I was young, my parents divorced. And in the midst of the pain and sorrow of the, the breakup of my parents' marriage, the lostness of that, I began thinking that God did not care about me. And slowly over the years, I came to find out that God was for me. That's what the words pro nobis mean, for us. Keith Hartzell writes, he finally learned that God was for us, for him, even in the pain of his parents' divorce. He finally found hope through those two simple words when he decided to believe that God was pro nobis, that God had even sent his son Christ to die for him. He could then decide to lay down his life for others. Jesus, in all of his works with the Father, is pro nobis. He is for us. He is for you. Because the Father and Son work together, we can trust Him. The sermon last week ended with John 5, 17, which says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Because the Father and the Son are always at work through everything in our lives, we can trust Him. You have a child, a grandchild who wanders from the faith. You say, Jesus, I know you are at work. I know you're at work in the very middle of this. I trust you. You have a diagnosis or someone has a diagnosis of cancer and, and you say, Jesus, I know you're at work in the very middle of this hard, hard time. I trust you. The company lays you off. And you turn to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I know you and the Father are always at work. You're at work in the middle of this. Jesus I trust you. When your own sin rises up and you feel as though no one could love you, God of the universe, could, the holy, holy, holy God could never accept you, you realize Jesus is at work. You say, Jesus, I trust you. I wonder this morning what is happening in your life today that makes it difficult for you to trust 
Jesus. He bids us to trust him over and over again. In John 14, 1, the New International Version, he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. We can trust Jesus because he is at work, always at work with the Father in all that is happening in our lives. Secondly, we can trust him because the Son and the Father are giving us life. He, he continues to show the equality that he has with the, with the Father. They share the mutual ability to give life to anyone they choose. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the, the Son gives life to whom he will. Now, only God has the power to bring life out of death, life out of non-life. We've seen that, of course, in the very creation of the world. John chapter 1, verse 3, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. God is the single source of life in the universe, and he has the ability to, to give life to whomever he will. And this is what they do, the Father and the Son giving life, that life to plants, life to animals, life to us. We see the Son's power to give that spiritual life to those who believe. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Now, you and I do not have that power. Jesus does. He can give anyone who wants eternal life. They hear the word, they believe on him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they're transported from death to life. He has that power. So we should trust Jesus because he has the power to save people. We don't. We can and we should witness for him. We testify the gospel. We share our own testimonies. But there's nothing you can do, you know this, right, to actually save the person. God, the Holy Spirit, has to work. Jesus has to give them life. And so we should trust him to give life. My wife, Anna, and I have four grown sons, all married with three granddaughters. Uh, so my wife's finally getting the girls in the family. <laughs> One of our sons, our second son, is not a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, very much an, an atheist, he would call himself. He's 33. He told us about eight years ago that he wasn't a believer. He wasn't following Christ. He came clean with us. And, and he did so because he said, I want you to know who I really am because I want you to love me. And we do. But one of the things that our son said to me that night, he was telling us he wasn't a believer. He said, Dad, there's nothing you can say to me to convince me to become a Christian. I've heard it all. And I looked him in the eyes and I said, the son's name is Taylor. I said, Taylor, you know, that's the first thing you said tonight with which I agree 100%. <laughs> I, I know there's nothing I can say to make you become a Christian. More than that, I know there's nothing you can say to make yourself become a Christian. Only God has the power, Christ has the power to save you, and he can make you become a Christian, and I do know what to say to him, and I will be praying for you. If you would want to pray for the Hawks, pray for our son Taylor to come know Jesus. The power that the son has to give life is incredible. It is to, to give spiritual life. It is to give physical life as well. One of the great miracles that we see in Jesus, of course, is raising the dead. It's, it's very impressive. We think of Lazarus, four days dead in the tomb. Jesus speaks, John eleven forty three. Lazarus come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. He is alive now. What a demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ to grant life to whomever he will. And it's not just the power to give temporary life, because Lazarus would die again, but it is the power to give eternal life that Jesus has. 
Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. The Father and the Son unified completely, had this life-giving power. They can do what no one else in the world can do. Equally, God, they have power over life and death. So those who will believe on Jesus, who will belong to Jesus, who will call on the name of Jesus, they, they will be saved. And the, the moment we die, we're transported into the, those who are believers into the very presence of the Lord. Jesus told us this, John 14, verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Jesus has that life-giving power along with the Father, so we trust Him to give life. To our children, our grandchildren who turn away from Him, we cry out to the living God, give them life. Please, we don't say, God, if you can, do we, when we pray. We know that He can. We pray, Lord, if you will, please save. And we know He delights to show mercy. Verse 21, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. This is the great doctrine of election, that Christ will choose in His mercy to save, and we glory in His great mercy. The power of life and death. This should help us trust Jesus. If He has a power to make the dead living, that's someone you want to trust with everything in your life. Years ago in our congregation in Charlotte, one of the more godly women in our congregation, her name Ruth Samuel, said, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. She would go to be with the Lord within a year of her original diagnosis. On the very day she was diagnosed with cancer, she wrote in her journal these words, I know you love us and have a plan. Be my hope, my comforter, and my great physician. At her memorial service, packed with over 1,600 people, her, one of her sons stood up, her grown son stood up, and told a little story about an interchange he had with his mom uh, days before she was to go to be with the Lord. He said, Mama, I'm going to miss you. And Ruth, in her style, said, but I won't miss you at all. <laughs> because I'm going to be with Jesus, and it will be different for me. That is trust in the living God, the God who gives life to the dead. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes, lives and believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, that the Son has the power to give you life, life to those you love. What is there left to fear in this world? All the deaths we die, the, the, the sorrows and losses that we have in this world, in a sense, are, they're, they're little deaths. You lose a job. It's like the death of your reputation or the death of your ability to, 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 to buy food. Uh, you, you lose friends. You lose loved ones. You run out of money. Uh, these are all little deaths, but Jesus has the power to bring life out of death. And so we are bidden because he has that kind of power to trust him. Where now is it hard for you to trust that Jesus can give you life out of death?
Where this morning do you struggle? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. If you're here today as one who does not yet know Christ, we're delighted that you're here. But as you're trying to live in this world, one of the things that impinges on our joy in this world is the reality of death that we face, whether we like to or not. Admit it, it's there lying at least in the back of our minds, and there's only one way to escape death from this life, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of the living. I would urge you today to give your life to Jesus, and he will give you eternal life. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And for all of us, trust him. Trust him with your life now. Trust him with your eternity. He does not lie to us. He is not fooling us. He is not speaking in allegories when he says there's a place for you. He means it quite literally. You will live forever with him by faith in him. That is the God that you trust. We can trust Jesus because the Son and the Father are one in all the work that they do. We can trust Jesus because he is the Lord of life. And finally, point three, we can trust Jesus even more because the Son and the Father will give us justice. Look at verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Now, this is interesting as we walk through this passage because so far the Father and the Son are doing everything alike. What the Father does, the Son does. The Father gives life, the Son gives life. And now when it comes to judgment, there's an interesting relationship that the Father and the Son has. The, the Bible rightly tells us that God the Father is the judge of all the earth. Genesis 18.25, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. But the way the Father has chosen to administer his judgment is to hand it to the Son to execute judgment. Everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Here's a very real and important reason to trust Jesus. He is the judge of all the earth and everyone in it. Whatever has gone wrong in your life, whatever has been unjust in your life, whatever has wounded and hurt you unjustly in this life, Jesus will make everything that is wrong right. He will make everything in this world that is wrong right. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Because of this role as judge, this, the Son is to be honored as God. Verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. <clears throat> now, we show honor to earthly judges, don't we? They have the black robes, they walk in, everyone in the courtroom, they say, all rise, they sit down, they speak respectfully to the judge. Why? Because they have power to judge you. Uh, you've had this experience, I suppose, you're driving down the highway or the road, and you look in your rearview mirror, and there's a police car behind you. <laughs> and you start looking at the speedometer and wondering, is your blinker at the last turn? And why, why suddenly do you feel so nervous? Because you recognize that they have the power to judge you. And that we honor those who have the power to judge. As judge, Jesus has the power not just to hand out a ticket, but he has the very power of life and death. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment 
but has passed from death to life. That means that when you believe on Jesus, you will not be condemned in the final judgment. You'll be judged righteous based on the righteousness of Christ. You'll be judged perfect, sinless, based on the perfect, sinless life of Christ. You'll be judged as a child of God, and you'll be given eternal life. You'll have passed from death to life. Have you ever wondered why the Father gives the Son authority to judge? I think verse 27 tells us that. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Think about the beauty and symmetry of that assignment. The only member of the Trinity who also became a man is appointed to judge all of mankind, all of humanity. So as we file before the judgment seat of Christ, no one can stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, well, this isn't fair. You don't know what it's like. You've never been lonely, you've never been persecuted, you've never been hungry, you've never been feeling lost and forsaken. They can't say that to Jesus as the judge of all the world, can they? Because he has known exactly what it's like. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so this God-man becomes the perfect judge of all humanity because he knows what it is to be us. The day comes when he returns and all humanity will be summoned forth. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There are two resurrections, as it were, those who have done good, good, those who have believed on Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit has worked in us, and so we have done things that he will deem good, not by our own merit, but by his grace, we will rise to a resurrection of life. But those who have done evil, those who have done bad, those who have rejected Jesus Christ and dishonored him as the judge of all the world, they will rise as well, but to a resurrection of judgment. When Saddam Hussein, remember Saddam Hussein when he was facing trial for his crimes against humanity in his own country? One of the interesting things that happened was that the, the, the very men that he had tortured, the, the men that he had imprisoned were allowed to sit as, as the panel of judges. One of those uh, a man by the name of Mofak al-Rubai said, I was in his torture chambers in 1979, and now he was sitting there powerless in front of me without anybody stopping me from doing anything to him. Just imagine. So Saddam Hussein judged that the, these men were inhuman, less than human. They didn't deserve anything. They were tortured, and those men he judged inhuman were the very men who judged him. In a, in a somewhat similar way, Jesus, who has been judged by the world to be not divine, not the judge of all the world, will sit in judgment on the very ones who have rejected him. Again, if you're here today as a non-Christian, I would urge you to, to understand what this means. It, it does not matter what you think about Jesus, he will be your judge. If you believe he was a myth, he never existed, he will still be your judge. 
you think he was just a good prophet, he will still be your judge. If you deny him as the divine God of the universe, he will still be your judge. There's no way to escape that. I would encourage you, do not wait for him to come as your judge. Look to him today as your Savior. And, and he, if you come to him in faith, then will we'll give you eternal life and you will rise with the resurrection of the righteous. And you'll be judged, forgiven, and not condemned. Friends, we can trust Jesus because he is the judge of all things. Whatever difficulties you're going through, to the extent that they're caused by sin and others, the injustice in this world around you, we should understand that he will give us justice. If you've been betrayed by a friend or business partners, Jesus will give you justice. As you suffered wrong in this world, Jesus will make it right. He will judge all the evil things in this world, and he will set them right. You, we need to understand that. We can trust him for that. You know, one of the reasons that you, you want to get revenge? Because you don't really believe that Jesus will judge. When you believe that Jesus will actually set things right, you go, Lord, that's up to you. It's not up to me. You know why it's so hard to forgive? Because we don't really believe that Jesus will judge justly. If we knew that he would, we said, it's out of my hands, Lord. I forgive. You decide. One of the reasons it's, it's so difficult to shut our mouths up and stop ourselves from slandering others is because we don't believe that Jesus will actually give us justice. Let us trust Jesus to judge, not ourselves. What about you this morning? Where do you struggle to trust Jesus for justice? What feels just so wrong in your life? Listen again to these words. He has given him, verse 27, he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. What that tells us is that Jesus is not just judge, but he is judge, jury, and executioner. It all lies in the hands of the Son of Man, and he will do what is right. And so we can wait for his justice. You can rest in his justice. We struggle. Don't we, at moments, to trust Jesus when things are going poorly in our lives, those difficult, those tragic moments? We struggle to believe that he is really powerful to save. We struggle to believe he really is loving enough to do it. We, we doubt his sovereign power to, to give us life from death. Whenever we face the little deaths in this world, being broke or being ill, being betrayed, failure, we doubt that he can really make good out of all that's gone wrong in our lives. We struggle to trust him fully because we doubt his love. He actually cares for us. It appears to us, the facts of the world, the facts of our lives often appear as though he does not care. And he tells us, don't look at those, listen to my voice. I love you. I love you, he says. Trust me. He has told us three key things in this text that should move our hearts to trust him even more. He has told us that the Father and I are always at work in the activities in this world. What you see out there is not random. I am in charge. Romans 8.28 reminds us, and we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We should trust him, he tells us, because he and the Father give life to whomever he pleases. 
as we experience the small deaths, as we face the big death of our own death, the ones we love. Know that he is the Lord of the living. He has the power to make us live, and we will, by faith in him, live for eternity. Think about that, brothers and sisters. No one can take that away from you. No difficulty in this life can diminish the glory of being with Jesus for eternity. That waits for you. We should trust him, he says, because he has been given all judgment. Whatever wrongs you've experienced, whatever wrongs that are happening in your life today, whatever wrongs come in the days ahead, we know this. He is the judge of all the world, and he will make everything wrong right. Our world, doesn't it, in some ways, feels like it's coming unhinged? So much wrong, and we feel so powerless, and we forget that God is still in charge, and Jesus is the judge. He misses nothing. Jesus is truly one with the Father. That's what this passage tells us, and that we can trust him because of that oneness. Jesus really is God. He's not just applying for the job. He is God and God fully. I told you as a young boy, a young teenager, I wrestled through this passage. I just could not come to grips with it. How can man be God? 49 years ago this summer, July 26, 1972, crying out to God in the middle of the night, God, if you are Jesus, you have to convince me because I can't convince myself. That's a pretty good prayer. And I woke up the next morning. What was I praying about? That Jesus is God. He is God. Jesus is God. I knew it and knew it fully by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we can trust him. He's at work. He gives life. He will give justice. That's why we trust him. It's Mother's Day, so maybe it's not such a bad idea to close the sermon with a mother's illustration. Monica was a Christian woman, married young to Patrick, who was not a Christian man. That happens sometimes, as you know. And uh, his relationship with her is difficult. Uh, she had three children who survived infancy. The, the two younger ones showed early on an, an aptitude, a, a desire to know Christ, but their, the oldest son uh, showed no real spiritual interest whatsoever. Monica prayed for them all. Her husband died when the oldest son was uh, 17 years old, and he went kind of wild and started womanizing, got a girl pregnant. That happens. But he didn't turn his life around and didn't turn to Christ. Monica trusted Jesus with her son's soul. She trusted and she prayed and she prayed, always trusting that one day God would save him. The God who can save, the God who can give life would save him. At age 29, he went off to be a professor of communication. He was wildly successful in a big city nearby. Finally, finally, after 31 years of praying, her son became a Christian. He gave his life to Christ. You know her son's name. It's Augustine, Bishop of Hippo. He ran to tell his mom that he'd become a Christian. He said, then we went to my mother and told her what happened to her great joy. We explained to her how it had occurred, and she leaped for joy triumphant, and she blessed you. 
Later, he would write about his thankfulness for his mother's to thanking the Lord for the faith in his mother that she would trust God with his salvation and pray and pray and pray. He wrote, and now, speaking to the Lord, you stretched forth your hand from above and drew up my soul out of that profound darkness because my mother, your faithful one, wept to you on my behalf. Monica would only live for another couple of years, but she was a happy mom seeing her last child come to faith in Jesus Christ. Augustine quoted her as saying, before she died, shortly before she died, passed into the presence of Jesus, there was indeed one thing for which I wished to tarry a little in this life, and that was that I might see you a Christian before I died. My God has answered this more than abundantly. 31 years of prayer. 31 years of trusting Jesus, and Jesus proved trustworthy. Where, where do you need to trust him today? Jesus says to us, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that we often struggle to believe. We struggle to trust that in the midst of the difficulties of this world, that, that you are really loving and really powerful. Our Lord Jesus, we, we love you, we call on you, but you know our hearts, you know how fickle they can be when things get really bad. You seem to us often distant. Lord, give us faith to trust you more. Help us even today. We believe, help our unbelief. Lord, I pray for every man, woman, and child here that they would trust you even more today. For I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.